HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hi, I'm Eli Sussman, and welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio. Today on the show, I'm joined by Lauren and Peter Lemos, co-owners of Wax Paper Company, the neighborhood sandwich shop that has garnered much acclaim since opening. The sandwiches at Wax Paper are named after the stars of National Public Radio. So when you go in, you'll see people feasting on an Ira Glass or maybe eating an overstuffed Garth Trinidad, a sandwich consisting of roasted turkey, cabbage citrus serrano chili slaw, pickled carrots, miso and sesame oil, cilantro, forcake, and sliced almonds on focaccia that Time Out recently named the number one best sandwich in the world. Lauren and Peter met at Umami Katessin, an offshoot of the popular Umami Burger concept, and also worked together at Eleni Oyster Bar, where they both continued to hone their skills and zero in on their dream of opening their own place. With over 30 years of hospitality experience between them, they decided it was time to launch their own concept. So built on a shoestring budget with a shoebox-like square footage, Wax Paper opened with a very small, very tight menu in 2015. Now with two locations of Wax Paper, a growing team and a new restaurant concept called Lingua Franca on the way, Lauren and Peter sat down to share their story of opening their small restaurant and truly figuring it all out along the way. If you're an industry veteran looking to start your own thing, this episode is totally for you. Get ready for a wonderful, wide-ranging, and expansive conversation that could have gone on even longer if we all didn't have to get back to work at our restaurants. In this extra-large episode of The Line, we cover build-outs, dealing with banks, cooking with constraints, how to build a better business for the long term, and of course, we talk about navigating a restaurant during COVID. Now, on to the episode. You two are partners in business, partners in life. What is it like to to do that, to basically 24-7 be together? And how do you, if you do, how do you separate out time that is not wax paper from when you're at the actual businesses? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, you know, I think what helps our relationship and partnership is that we met working in a restaurant 
and we both have worked in restaurants for a really long time. And um, we're different people. We're polar opposites, really. Um, but it works. And so I think, you know, carving out the the time, the quality time is not always realistic, as you know. Um, also, we love what we do. So sometimes we come home and we just get these ideas and just we're talking about work and we're like, okay with it, you know? Um, yeah. I think where something we talked about a lot where it becomes difficult is when you do the same thing and you go through the same day, you don't have someone to come home to and sort of vent about your day because you both already went through it. So in essence, you'd just be dredging up like the same stuff you already went through, you know? And uh, so that can feel isolating sometimes, I think, and maybe even cause sort of like, I don't know, maybe we just come home and we don't talk, right? And we're just like, we have nothing to say because we just went through the same day. So we've really tried to stay conscious of that and just try to, you know, one of the things that's helped is Peter's sort of taken over, um, overseeing one of the stores and me the other. And so we kind of have different days now. We have different things to talk about. But yeah, it's it's tough. Um, as far as working together, though, like I know it sounds cheesy, but I mean, we work incredibly well together. Uh, we rarely disagree on issues. It's usually like he takes one road and I take another and we're like, cool, you know, and then occasionally, you know, when it comes down to something that we feel really passionate about, then we're like, no, no, like, I really don't think. But speaking honestly, like, I really just defer to Peter because most of his ideas have really, all of his ideas have really panned out. Um, I know we'll get more into it, but I think just being small um, really, really showed how beneficial that was during the pandemic. So long answer to a... No, no, no. That's that's great. Um, before we even actually like move on to the talking about the specific businesses, I want to actually continue talking about you two and just... And just how it was kind of the idea was born. So you say that you're polar opposites, but you both worked a lot in hospitality beforehand. So um, which came first, the idea for the business or the relationship? Were you already together and then thought, you know what, we should join forces and leave our jobs and start a business together? Or were you at the same restaurant and the idea started percolating? Like, which came first and then how was it born? Yeah, I think, um, well, the relationship definitely came first. That was like, there was an attraction and, uh, you know, a relationship was formed working in a restaurant. Um, I was working in the kitchen. Lauren was working in the front. And, um, you know, we met and fell in love and we got married. Um, I think a lot of it, a lot of it is like timing, right? It's like timing, timing in life. Um, you know, we met each other at a particular point in our lives where I think we were both ready to, um, you know, maybe take a leap or stop, you know, or, you know, try to try to really create something for ourselves. Um, you know, we were married and opened the business within the first year of marriage. Um, so we were, you know, the relationship was first. And I think, you know, Professionally, for me, I was at, you know, I was at a point in my life where I was, you know, like seeing other people around me, you know, open their own businesses and be, you know, be sort of in charge of of 
their life in a way that I didn't really feel like I was, but I felt like, you know, now or never, I, I don't know. I get, I get really philosophical. I really like, I really enjoy the big questions in life. Um, and, uh, you know, it was sort of like, why not us? You know, if it's not us, you know, it's going to be somebody else, somebody else. Um, you know, Lauren's extremely creative and, you know, is an amazing, um, person and, and extremely hospitable and nice and charming. And, you know, with, with just the balance of, of that, with my sort of intellectual, uh, food creativity, I thought could be really special. And, you know, I, I, you know, I was working at a place that I was like, you know what, I think it's time. I think it's time to try to do something. And Lauren was, was on board. I think we just sort of, you know, we both had a, you know, I was kind of surprised. I think I brought it up and, and uh, I was kind of surprised that Lauren was like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, okay, let, let's do it. And, and uh, you know, talk about a huge leap. It was just like, you know, being creative with food or, you know, being a great server is one thing, but then like opening a business and like, we were, you know, this is sort of, I think, you know, people were doing pop-ups, but we were always, we always wanted to have a business, a, a brick and mortar, uh, um, a place you can come and a place that's sort of invested in the community every single day. It, there's a, there's a, it becomes sort of like its own thing. It's not sort of like a traveling, um, you know, it, it there, there's, it, it's one thing. And that was always our desire, I think, to sort of, you know, create this concept and this restaurant in a space. Um, and, uh, yeah. I remember like being at my apartment and we were sitting at the table and uh, I had, I think, seven tax forms that year, like seven W-2s because I was working at a bakery and a restaurant and a cater. I was working for a catering company and I was doing voiceover stuff. And it was like, oh my God, like I was, I was working at the Ace Hotel. It was like, I literally had seven different jobs. And so I said to Peter, I was like, you know, at any given time, I said to Peter, I'm like, dude, just leave your job. I got the hustle. I want to do this. We plan to move in together. It wasn't like a convenience. It was sort of time for us and our relationship to move in together. And I remember like the idea was really born because Peter said like, you know, I just really want to do a sandwich shop because I'd make family meal. I'd make sandwiches I just, I want to make a place where industry people want to come after their shift and get something elevated, you know, but not pretentious, but like more than, you know, more than just two pieces of bread and which we love too. We do yeah. love just like two pieces of white bread and meat. Like that's, there's no, you know, no moving away from that. But um, yeah, I think yeah. it was just like kind of a perfect, perfect that was timing. Really, yeah. That was really like the, the impetus was like, a, like a place for restaurant people to come on their day off that was a little more creative than fast food, but not like you're going to a restaurant because when you're like working in a restaurant, you know, you don't want to go. It's, it's fine every now and then to go and out and have like a great meal. But like, I think like for me personally and for Lauren, like on our days off, we wanted something delicious and we wanted something that was wouldn't necessarily break the bank. Um, 
something that was a little less formal than like, you know, sitting at a fine dining restaurant. Um, and, you know, I, I think like if we, with our restaurant background, we really felt like if we make something cool, that was like other restaurant people would get it. And if other restaurant people would understand it, then that was sort of like, that was like the first goal. That was the goal of like other restaurant people could get it. Then we knew like, cool. We knew we're onto something. Yeah, I, I totally hear that point exactly because it's so amazing that you say that. It's actually exactly how Samisa came to be. And yeah. we really wanted to do, uh, you know, chicken over rice. And when you strip something down to its you know, bare bones, okay, you're doing sandwiches, but you're doing them in a very thoughtful way. Um, and we'll talk about how you come up with them and ingredients. But, you know, it's cool that you you had in mind, you thought, who could our consumer be? Well, someone who truly, really cares about food, which is people that work in restaurants. And you saw uh, an opening in the marketplace, which was, well, this is what I want to eat every day. I know that other people are going to want to eat this every day. Uh, <laughs> That seems yes. like that seems yes. like a business, and and so yeah, going exactly. from going from idea, which is you're making family meal, and everyone says, "Wow, those are these are really good sandwiches," and then you say, "Let's put pen to paper and let's start building this out as a concept." Um, what were the steps that you took to to actually start that business? So, like from my perspective, you know, I had run a restaurant for someone else, but. Um, you don't get down into the nitty gritty of there's a lot of stuff that you can kick to a GM or an owner. You know, you're like, oh, I don't know what the, I do in that situation because I just call the owner and I say, hey, this is broken or um, someone came in and complained or, hey, we need a new piece of equipment. So like even though yeah. you both had a combined 30 years of experience, I'm wondering what were like the really concrete steps that you took? Besides, you know, maybe making a business plan, like how did you get ready to open up your business? What did you do? People listening are going to want to know, like, how did you go from the napkin to the two locations? Yeah. Oh, there's so much think, to cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how long is this episode? We yeah, could yeah. go. I think the most important thing for us was like, we really were honest with ourselves and we really said, is this a good idea? Like, honestly, objectively, like, will this work? Do we believe in ourselves enough? Like, you have to, if you're going to establish a business like that, you really have to believe in yourself yeah. and you have to be honest with yourself. Um, like, yes, this is, this is a good idea. Or actually, no, this is, needs a little bit more tweaking. Um, you hear people say like, I, you know, I, I saw, I had a vision I saw it, I saw it through and you, you know, you, you kind of hear that and you're like, uh, okay, whatever, you know, like you saw the vision, like what, what's the, what else, you know, I swear to God, we like saw, we saw it. We were like, okay, like we're gonna have a record player in there and it's good. We're going to have like a picture that I took in high school at a locust show. And it's going to be like, not crafted to look like punk rock it's going to be punk rock because that's what we that's what we were for so long and like we're going to do us and we're going to take everything that we love and don't love about this industry and we're going to hold on to it or we're going to throw it out the window you know like uh we work jobs where we couldn't even get direct deposit for our paychecks so like go in on your day off and pick up your paycheck which by the way you are supposed to be paid for just calling that out but never was paid for that never but 
you know, like yeah. direct deposit, like, come on. Okay. So we were literally like, we're going to have direct deposit. Oh my yeah. God. You know, like it was like this big idea <laughs> or you know what? Like I had to wear a tie and catering so much and I love ties, but like, don't, I just, it wasn't me, you know? And I was like, I just never felt like myself, never felt like I could be myself, like tending, tending bar. I always felt like I was just stiff no uniforms, like no, you know, tasteful t-shirts, but like no uniforms. So we're going to get rid of that. So we just kind of took each little detail and planned it out and saw it through, like saw a vision through. And then the other element of that, you know, what sounds to be like, wow, they planned so much is we had no idea what we were doing. We were completely (laughs) green, worked in restaurants, never owned a restaurant, to be honest, my highest level of restaurant service was a supervisor. And I never cared to like climb the ladder. I loved serving tables. I loved tending bar. Uh, Being a supervisor was cool, but I was just like, all right, you know, how do I own a restaurant? Do I need to take a course? Do I need to, but it was already there. The way that you, and you know, working in restaurants, the way that you become a restaurant owner is to work in restaurants and, you know, Suzanne Barr talked about it in one of your episodes, which was such a, such an inspiring, amazing episode and what an inspiring person she is. And, but she said, uh, you know, our partners, they, they had no experience. They were, they were, uh, real estate brokers. We see this all the time. Like people are just like, you know, I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm bored with my day job. I've never worked in one. So it wasn't, Sorry, bitter, bitter party of one, but it just, it wasn't that we knew what we were doing, but yet we also were so green and literally like, how do we permit this place? Do we sign a lease? Do we, you know, we didn't know what options were. We literally did not know what a restaurant expediter was. I'm not even kidding you. Probably couldn't have afforded one. If we did, we had no business partners. This was us. We were throwing our pennies in the pot and we were doing this. We had no idea. We'd never heard of a restaurant expediter. Didn't even know you had to submit plans to the health department. We literally went to the county. We went to the county in the city four times a week. Us. We showed up and like took a number and sat there and like people like treated us like shit. And like we, we permitted the entire restaurant ourselves. Like it was ridiculous. So I think, you know, it's, I kind of got off the off the rails, but to answer your question, we started bit by bit. And the most important thing I think is what is, what is free? And I say that like, what is monetarily free? Okay. Instagram is free. Uh, Social media is free. Um, You know, word of mouth is free. Uh, Posters, not totally free. You got to pay some money to print them, but like, okay, what now let's start. Now we're starting to get, spend some money. So what's like the most inexpensive thing. Okay. We'll get an LLC. We'll go to, go to dear Robert Shapiro's legal zoom and get an LLC and do it. So we got an LLC. We're like, okay, we're a business now. Now we got to get a seller's permit. So we just kind of did it piece by piece, which was, I love that incredibly excruciating. After a notice from the city, we're like, Oh, we need a seller's permit. Okay. How do we do that? Like figuring out stuff like, yeah. Oh, we haven't paid our annual LLC tax oh i didn't realize we had to do that okay let's go pay that so like just learning and like believing never like never doubting like just this is what we're gonna do and it's gonna happen like whatever whatever yeah whatever gets in our way we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna make it there's a a certain kind of 
vibe of people that work in restaurants that that's just present them with a problem or an issue and they will solve it, you know, and sometimes it goes in a, in a straight line. And sometimes it goes in a, in a very, very (laughs) squiggly line. Um, But the thing is, is like, we're, we're born problem solvers and we do thrive in the muck to a certain extent. And so like, opening up a restaurant really puts you in the mud. Like you're in the shit and your back is up against the wall. And like, when does anything go right when you work in a restaurant and when you own one, even more stuff goes wrong. And so you were probably primed for all of it, even though like on paper, did you know how to do it? Had you taken a class? No, but you had all those elements there. You had all those pieces. I'm wondering, is there anyone that you relied on from past restaurants or friends that were maybe, you know, one or two steps in front of you that you kind of considered like a mentor or like at least someone who had maybe forged that path before you that you could ring up and say, okay, we like actually got to the point on this one item where like, we don't know where to go from here. We don't know where to go left or right. Was there anyone that you, that helped you that you could reach out to, or were you really like totally flying solo? Well, Peter had, I, Peter was a kitchen manager and also a chef and, and sous chef and, and, you know, so I'm sorry, chef cuisine. And so I, like, he had the experience he had, he knew the ins and outs of how to, how to get that started. So I relied on him for a lot of that stuff. I wasn't, shouldn't sell myself so short. Um, but I like, I really, you know, tried to take mental notes of how my superiors over the years were doing things. I didn't really know. Um, I knew how to obviously how to take an inventory as of being a bartender, but, um, yeah, I, I looked to him a lot. He did have a lot of those answers. Um, as far as ownership. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we, we talked to have, uh, Lauren and I have a pretty big circle here in LA of like restaurant connections. So if it wasn't like necessarily restaurant owners, um, we also had friends that, that were working in other restaurants or um, in other, you know, hospitality capacities that, that uh, we could reach out to. There were a couple owners, I think like Justin Lancaster, and, our, our and, former boss at yeah, LNA Oyster Bar. And, uh, and Tyler, um, they were the owners of a restaurant that we both worked at. Um, and uh, so I remember... I actually talked to, uh, I talked to Tyler and I was thinking about, cause he, he, he had owned a few restaurants before he owns some in Alabama and some here in LA. And, uh, um, for some reason, I remember him telling me that rent should be 5% of your revenue, monthly revenue. And so that was always like a number in my mind that I never really thought about before. Um, as far as like, you know, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we didn't write out any sort of cost analysis or oh, anything. Oh, we talked to Andy. Our, our um, so Andy and Bub and Grandmas, they make our bread. Yeah. They He was like, do you, have, do you have a pro forma? Do you have a business plan? We were like, no. And he was like, okay, I'm going to send you mine. Like, I'm going to send you yeah, mine. Yeah. You can literally just copy and paste it. I don't care. Like, use <laughs> yeah. this. Like, this is what you need. But what we realized was, like, our business plan should, should be – you should always have a business plan. You should always have a plan. But the people that we were talking to had – um, business partners, financial partners, people who had, you know, equity and, and partnership in the company. Right. So it was relatable, but, and, and so helpful, but also we were like, well, we're not pitching this. We're pitching this like to ourselves. So like, who do we, like, we were just like, uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I don't know. 
it, 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 we just took what we could. And for people listening that are like, we're getting into some nitty gritty here. So basically what we're talking about is like a pro forma and a pitch deck and taking those things out to market. And, and traditionally when you would be opening up a business, you would put together a huge document that has, you know, maybe some glitzy visuals of sandwiches and, uh, and a pro forma is going to have all your revenue sales figures and all your cost of goods and, you know, taxes and all these various, um, you know, fees that you're going to pay. And then you show that to an investor and you're like, Hey, look at that bottom line. Like there will be profit at the end of the year. Right. But what you're basically saying is that you weren't taking this out to market and you had already convinced yourselves that this was a great idea. So, um, if you weren't taking it out yeah. to market to raise money and you were, you were starting with all your own money. Is that how I'm understanding it? Did you go to a bank and try to get a loan yeah. or yeah. did you just say cash in hand? We're going to find oh. a location and we're going to rent it. This is so great. I'm glad you asked that. Also, I misspoke. Andy helped us with our business plan for Lingua Franca. I forgot mm. that Andy and, uh, at Bub and grandma and I, and us started around the same time, but, um, this is a great, this is a great question. And I'm sorry, I feel like I'm talking a lot. We, we did do it with our, we did it with our own money. Um, I called the bank and I said, we need a business loan. And they said, okay, how long have you been in business? And I'm like, oh, we're not. And they're like, oh, well, you have to be in business for three years, like to get a business loan. And I was like, cool. I was like, what about like, is there like a startup business loan? Like, and kind of like startup money. And they're I like, remember this conversation literally too. laughed. Like he was like, no, that's not a thing. We're like, okay. So I hung up the phone. I called back, I called the bank back and I was like, Hey, I'm trying to start a business. We have not been in business for three years. Um, like what, what do I do? And they said, well, have you put any of your personal money into this project so far? And I was like, yeah, of course. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, I mean, you could get a personal loan to pay yourself back if you would like to do that. And that's fine. And, uh, you know, just make sure the money you're spending is on the business, you're paying yourself back. I'm like, okay, so I got a loan, a very small one. Um, I think it was $26,000, which is a lot of money, but wasn't enough. Um, but it got us through. And, uh, I think it took me like, I think it took us like four years to pay it off or something. But um, yeah, so we had that. I was working multiple jobs. Um, we had saved a little bit and yeah, that was it. It was like, now let's find a place. Let's find a home, you know, and let's start with that. And let we've, we've now moved in together. So we've merged our rent. So like, we're not paying rent at our prospective apartments anymore. So we kind of, we are paying one rent. So we kind of treated the the restaurant as like, well, that'll be our second rent or, you know, like it was our second, it was our apartment before, before we moved in. Um, foolish things I'm telling you, but, uh, yeah, that's, we did that. That was our next step. We found a place, found a place and we started renting yeah. it. Yeah. We, we found it. It was very much under construction. And I still remember to this day, I remember like the, the landlords looking at it and being like, okay, I don't really get it, but, um, I mean, I guess, I guess, it, I guess it could work. Um, it was 226 still, square feet. Yeah. And still, 226 square feet. Yeah. People, people looking <laughs> at the space are like, you know, nobody really got it. But Lauren and I, I remember looking at it and, 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 and seeing it and just like, I could imagine what it would look like without this, like, 
chain link fence against the wall. Like that was going to be our little patio where we had tables. And I saw it like people would walk inside and this is where we prepare the food. You fell in love with the location. Like right when you saw it, do you think like, this is it? I, I, I see wax paper here. Yeah, I think we, we both did for sure. Um, more, I think more you. Yeah, I was, I was reticent. Yeah. I was like, dude, like how there's no what is this? plumbing. There's a, what are you? Yeah. Like, no, I, the neighborhood. Yeah. No, no. I, I thought the neighborhood was actually the neighborhood was the selling point for me because I, it, our shop's on the corner. And I was like, I can't wait to meet every single one of the, these people that live in these houses and be the shop on the corner and be a part of this community. What I, what I was nervous about was like, well, I guess to, to kind of back, um, piggyback on what you said, neighborhood being like, how are people going to find us? We're literally yeah. like, there's houses, 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 wax paper, houses, houses, you know? There so was like, no other really retail business. Yeah. There were a lot of warehouses um, and offices, but there wasn't any really retail activity or, you know, um, people in the, in, you know, foot traffic certainly was not really a thing then. Yeah. Um, it was just the size of the space for but me. It was small like, and oh we thought God. we could afford it. So we're like, okay, let's, this is where it is. You know, was there a calculus to do sandwiches based on the financial factor? And by that, I mean, you do not require a ton of equipment for sandwiches that you would need if you were doing like multiple pan pickups and you don't need a convection oven necessarily. And I, I, you're not currently baking your bread, right? So it's coming in. So these are all things that require prep space in a kitchen and require like a front end yeah. investment and in equipment. So did you think to yourself, sandwiches are good, yeah. people like them and let's, let's roll with that because it will be cheaper. Yeah. 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 For sure. Definitely. Million, million percent. Yeah. I mean, it was going to be like, you know, thousands, thousands of dollars for a grease trap. Yeah. So we're like, oh, we can't do that. So yeah, it was just like, you know, this is, uh, you know, I like, we, I think we thrive in uh, when we have some sort of constraints on ourselves. Um, I like seeing opportunities in places where maybe other people don't see them. Um, and certainly like not having a kitchen, not having a hood, not having a grease trap. Um we just sort of said, okay, what can we do? You know, we can, we can, we know where to get really good bread. We can get that delivered. Um, there's a really good um, deli meat company um, here in Burbank. We can get deli meats. Um, we can make all of our sides can just be, you know, coleslaw, raw shave vegetables. Um, there's so many ways to make stuff delicious without necessarily cooking it or, um, you know, any sort of any of that stuff. And so we just said, you know, like, wow, how, let's get creative. What, what can we do here? Um, That's all you, that was subtextual yeah. the entire time for Peter. It was like, yeah. it was like, and it was just like, I, I don't know. I just, I just, we wanted to show um, that you didn't need to have, you know, this fully built out kitchen um, to make, you know, really good food. That's, that is delicious. You know, people will come like, you know, every single day, you know? Um, I remember uh, being at the health department and Peter saying, uh, the, our health and, um, plan checker saying, let me see your menu. He hands him the menu. He's like, oh, potato salad. How are you going to cook that? 
And Peter's like, oh, I'm an induction burner. I'll boil the potatoes. And, nope, can't have an induction burner. Got to have a grease trap if you have an induction burner. So we were like, uh, okay, cool. So we'll strike that yeah, from the... It, it was just <laughs> like... Take that right off, I okay, guess. Cool. Yeah. No potato salad. Um, what, what else can we do? Yeah, <laughs> I remember too, he was, we had these wood counters that like we researched and it was like, okay to have them. And he's, oh, absolutely no wood. Are you going to be cutting on them? We're like, no, we're going to have cutting boards on the wood. No, absolutely no wood. I'm like, please, please. It's already, it's already there. Can we just, it's in the plan. It was this like local lumber company. Yeah, they're on the like street. Such a great story to have Come like on. local lumber in the shop. And yeah. it's, gonna, it's like, he's like so great. And bring me a, a sample. Warm feeling. So he's like, bring me a sample. We had, it, the only sample we had was like four feet long and three <laughs> feet wide, heavy as shit. And we just walked it into the health department and he laughed his ass off at us he laughed at us okay you can have the wood i mean you can't make this shit up that's literally what happened <laughs> and we would be like in the health department and we'd see people who do this for a living expediters like brilliant genius people which to which i will never not work with again like expediters budget for that um but we'd see like expediters walk in and like our health plan checker who was couldn't have been colder to us would just look up and be like hey like Hey, how you doing? To the plan checkers. What do you need? You need that? Like push us aside. Like, man, it's like I'm almost glad we went through that. But yeah, well, you know, money can move money. Money can move mountains sometimes, but at least now you know how to do everything. Yeah, and uh, and you got like a real, you got a real crash course in sort of every aspect of the bureaucracy of opening up a restaurant. That is for sure. Um, I want to ask about sandwiches from like a chef perspective and also like talk a little bit about ego and also expectations because, um, you know, I run a fast casual restaurant with my brother where what we have tried to do is make really delicious food. Um, it's not fancy. It comes in a compostable bowl. Uh, no one's coming here for like a three course meal. Um, we had some apprehension at first about how it would be received and also like what it would mean for us as people who took cooking very seriously to just put stuff in a bowl, quote unquote. Um, and so what I ask you is like, um, you make sandwiches. They are exceptionally delicious sandwiches that you put a ton of care and effort into. What were your thoughts before opening about going from like a traditional kitchen to opening up a sandwich shop? And did you have any of those fears that, that I had? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one of the things I think about all the time is like the, you know, if you really want to batten your ego down and, and make your tamp your ego down a little bit, you should open a restaurant. Um, because it will, it will, your ego will disappear. Um, but I think, you know, originally, uh, still to this day, I think like going back to the first thing that we talked about was like, I think, you know, I, we had this idea that, that, that restaurant people will, will, will get it. Um, you know, it's, it, and there, there was, you know, honestly, there was not a lot of sandwich places surprisingly i mean everybody loves sandwiches everybody loves making sandwiches everybody loves eating sandwiches everybody loves ordering sandwiches um 
but there really weren't a lot of places um, to get a good sandwich. I mean, Lauren and I went to a couple places that were pretty inspiring um, here in LA, but you know, there were a couple um, places, but not really. And, and yeah, I think from like a, a chefy perspective, um, you know, there is a lot of, I, I think it's changing for sure. I think over the last five years, um, you know, people's knowledge of, of what good food looks like and what good food is, is definitely changing. But, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe I think I, I sort of wanted to get out from sort of the traditional restaurant environment, kitchen environment. Um, you know, I think def creatively, I definitely think to myself, like, you know, wow, do, do people, you know, do people take us seriously? Like, is this, do people like this food? Is this, um, you know, is this like a serious enough concept for people to be like, so to like just selfishly me be taken seriously as a chef. Um, but that sort of goes away when I just think about, no, like I'm really proud of what we do. I'm really proud of our employees. I'm proud of, of the concept and what, you know, we just want to make delicious food. It's just delicious. It's honestly, objectively delicious. That's our biggest goal. Like, is the food delicious? Great. Um, you know, is it not, are we going to get Michelin stars? No, but is it delicious? If Michelin inspectors came to wax paper, would they say it was delicious? Yes. Like that's, that's the goal. Um, you know, for, for us, um, for me, like, I just, you know, maybe there was a time in my life where I, 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 you know, was more concerned about, you know, plating something on a plate, but now it's just like, you know, is it delicious? Great. Is that, that, you know, it, that's really my, my like guiding principle. Is it delicious, but is it good? You know? So, and that can, I think that can come in all shapes and sizes and forms. And yeah. And of course this was no one's plan, but what happened during COVID was that actually favor flavor became paramount over presentation because everything was going in a box or a bag anyways. Yeah. So that has been an interesting, uh, not a full paradigm shift, but to see people uh, that used to be able to market a restaurant and a dish based on the experience and the plating, right? Like here's a bite of food, but it comes on this gorgeous ceramic plate and it comes in this gorgeous room. So we're going to charge you 17 bucks for it going to, you know what I really want? I, you know what I really want? I want a delicious sandwich. That's 16 bucks. Um, and so it's been yeah. exciting to see how the fast casual places that may have been sort of maligned before have been able to really, uh, get their, their time to shine. Uh, and so, um, I want to ask about your sandwiches from a, a construction standpoint, but also the names, um, why the names? And then also how does a sandwich make it on the menu and be like a finalized product? I like, in my opinion, maybe more so than any other dish, it's very hard to edit the contents of a sandwich because sometimes like 16 ingredients in a sandwich is still really delicious. 
And so I feel hard. I feel difficulty editing sandwich creation. How do you go about creating your dishes on your menu? And when do you finally just say, okay, uh, this, this one's ready for the menu. Both of our shops are really small. So I think once we're out of room to store ingredients, that's when it's done basically. <laughs> nice cooking uh, with constraints. I like it. Yeah. 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 It's a common theme. That's the shoulders that wax paper stands on. It's cooking with constraints. Yeah. And why the names? Well, we were, we were, I mean, we're huge public radio nerds and listeners and, yeah. and we were, that was kind of one of our commonalities, just like on a personal level when we started dating was we both love to listen to NPR and our local stations, KPCC. And, um, we, we would be driving and we'd hear the names and, um, obviously no surprise. It seems like a requirement to have an amazing name to be a public radio host or producer or writer. And, um, I, I think I said something like, Hey, my brother and I used to like call each other up and pretend to be these hosts. And, and I just think, what if we like named our sandwiches, like something funny. And we had just watched the episode of Kirby enthusiasm Two where Larry David, um, wants to switch his sandwich with Ted Danson and, <laughs> yeah. and all the stuff. And, uh, we just kind of like in that moment married that idea and we're like, yeah, let's name him after like public radio hosts. That'd be sweet. Like yeah. better than ham and cheese or, you know, if we name him after Seinfeld characters, we'll probably get a uh, season desist. So like, we can't do that, you know? And like, you know, there was definitely no like, oh, maybe we'll get publicity out of this. But there was absolutely like, well, I think that the people that work in radio would like, like be cool with it. Like, I don't think that they would be like cease and desist. I think they'd be like, oh, wow, there's a sandwich named after me. How cool, you know? So that's yeah. kind of how we came up yeah. with it. We wanted to have fun with it too. And just like, Humor is a big principle at Wax Paper and like, and things that we do. Um, I think, I think humor is very underlooked in the restaurant industry. So we try to provide a lot of that with, with our stuff. And that, I think the names speak to that. Um, but yeah, I'm just so thankful that every single person, you know, these hosts like, you know, Kai Rizdahl or Hedy Lynn like Larry Mantle, they'll come in, they live in LA. They'll come into the shop, they'll order their sandwich. Um, and I just, I'm so thankful that it, it's worked out as well as it has, because, you know, we really, we like, that's the most personal thing to somebody is your name. And we just took that and made a sandwich, you know, named a sandwich after it. Um, and you know, everybody has been so, you know, has just gotten it and been like, this is cool. I love this idea. Um, so I feel really thankful to them for, you know, just, you know, going, keeping on, on board with us and going along for the ride. So I think too, like our, we, we want to be our sandwiches to be a twist on classics. So I think if you look at our menu um, to answer your question about how a sandwich makes it on the menu, I think a, a require, yeah. maybe an unspoken requirement is like, is there some classic element to this sandwich that we're, we're twisting on, you know? Um, and, and I think yeah. all of them uphold that, you know, we do, we save the wild kind of like, uh, we do get kind funky of funky stuff for, sure. for specials, like yeah. actual specials, which we do every Thursday. We've done a special every Thursday, I think, except maybe one during the pandemic. We were just like, we can't do it. Um, but for six years, you know, we've done a special every Thursday. You've done a special every Thursday. Our staff's done a special. I can take no credit. Um, and they've all been different week to week. I don't think we've ever or maybe rarely repeated a special. 
Those are the ones where yeah. that have like 16 ingredients yeah. off the rails. We, we can't yeah. even, we don't even offer like taking stuff off of those because they're just too wild. Like, you know, the olives are likely mixed into the sauce. Like they're not separate, you know, or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. Save yeah. the funky ones for Thursdays, but. I love, I mean, I love everything about the names. I think it's so wonderful because you basically like elevated these people oh. who no one can see and who no one probably really thinks about. Like you've made them superstars because the only people who get sandwiches named after them are like huge, huge, huge celebrities, you know, like Ted Danson and Larry David. Right. Um, and right. so like, I get a right. huge kick out of the fact that they come in and order their own sandwiches. They probably think it is the most amazing thing. And yeah. I bet that to a certain extent, they wish that they were like, had recognizable faces so that when they came in, people would be like, Oh my God, is that, uh, you know, is that Larry right there? I just got your sandwich. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. I wonder if they, they yeah. ever like consider like putting their NPR badges like on display so that somebody might notice them when they come <laughs> in. We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more of The Line here on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio Network. We're going to jump back into the wax paper episode with Peter talking us through one of their most popular dishes, not a sandwich, and explaining how the Aloha pasta salad came to be. The pasta salad was something that we worked, um, we sort of were batting this idea around with Ben, who's one of our, one of our longest uh, employees, been with us about four years um, it's our first full-time employee. Yeah. And he's from New York. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was born and raised in Manhattan. And uh, for some reason, the stars aligned and he is working with us now in LA and it's, you know, can't do it um, without him. Um, but we were just batting around an idea of like, you know, like we have like the ends of the ham, right. That you can slice on the deli slicer, but then you're left with this little piece of ham um, which is perfectly good. So like, why, why are we going to get that, give that away or throw it away or use it for family meal? Um, that's a, you know, something you can use. And, uh, for some reason we were talking about, uh, ham and pineapple pizza. And then we started talking about pasta salad. And I think coincidentally, just at this time, there was another local, um, uh, maker who was starting this pasta company this dried pasta company uh semolina um and uh she would bring samples by and say hey, if you guys are ever thinking about doing a pasta salad um 
you know, I make dried pasta here in town. Um, I'd love for you guys to, to use it. And so that's sort of continued this evolution of like, okay, now we have a source of pasta. Um, we just sort of, you know, Ben and I are very like, we're very like-minded and I think we like to get, you know, sort of creative and fun. And so the idea was like, what about like the flavors of Hawaiian pizza and pasta salad? So that's where like pineapple and then we can use up these ends of the ham. Um, we have jalapenos um, and then like ham and like ham and, 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 and peas. So then now we're talking about like green peas come into the mix. Um, and then sort of like, and then going back to those flavors where it's like kind of rich and a little bit acidic from the pineapple and sweet. And then, you know, that speaks to like a lot of our creativity too, with our sandwiches and, and the food is like, everything is like, we really want to get balanced and everything. So there's always like something sour, something sweet, um, something salty, maybe something a little bit bitter from like the burned parts of the bread. So everything is kind of like balanced in that way. Um, so that's how we really started to like create food. And so we just started thinking about the pasta salad that way. Um, I think it originally had chunks of pecorino in it too. Yeah, it did. It had yeah, chunks of cheese. Um, but then, you know, we're eating it and we're like, okay, but what if it was like, this is pasta. Like when you get a bowl of pasta, you grate cheese over the top. Um, so what if we took that pecorino and then grated it over the top? That would, that's, you know, that when you eat it, that's tastes a lot better than the chunks. Um, togarashi. But yeah. And we had, so it has grated pecorino and togarashi on the top again, just to reinforce those flavors of like what's inside the pasta salad. Um, and then the dressing is basically like, it's the dish. Yeah. <laughs> The dressing has everything that's yeah, in the yeah, dish. Yeah, the dressing is <laughs> just like, pasta. yeah, like the cores of the pineapple, um, ends of like red onion, um, pecorino cheese, same thing. We're like, you're grating pecorino cheese. You get down to a nub that you can't really grate anymore. So you save it. So that gets blended up into the dressing. Um, so it's like everything that's in the dish is like blended up and that becomes the dressing. Um, so it's just a way to like, you try and utilize like as much of things that we have around um and then also like make something delicious and fun um so that's you know hawaiian pizza so then it's now it's aloha pasta salad so you know that's sort of like you know i think how that came came to be was just like what do we have here how can we use them in a new uh, like fun way yeah it's an amazing exercise in not wasting and also just being creative in the same yeah. way that you that that making family meals led to your business this is you're innovating from existing product like you didn't have to go out too far yeah. to find what you needed yeah. like it was it was at your it was at arm's length um yeah. I want to ask about your employees you've mentioned that you have 12 employees um which is really amazing like part of starting a business is uh for you. And then you quickly realize that like people rely on, uh, on the business to be successful. Um, and that you have employees that you need to take care of. What has that experience been like going from, uh, pretty much lifelong employees to now you're the, um, you're the employers. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many layers to that. Um, I think, being an employee for so long, um, kind of how I mentioned earlier, really gave us the the sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It just gave us 
the the basics understandings and needs of um of people you know i mean we've worked in so many different environments and restaurants where maybe you saw the owner once every couple of years or you know once a day or once a week you know um what's their presence like what's their participation um one of my favorite stories was when Peter was working at Kraft, he came in uh, to the kitchen and this this person was was mopping. And as he got closer, it was just Tom Colicchio, like mopping his own restaurant. <laughs> so it was just like, oh, hey, chef, you know, um, and 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 so like those experiences and what kind of owners we want to be. Um, I think the answer came from that. We're we're still young like we're, I guess there was always kind of a perception that owners were just like kind of older not to sound ages but just like maybe like older or in a different profession like not really trying to work the line or anything like the yeah. line is like where we, that's like us that's like where we want to be and like we're young we're like not ready to like retire we don't want to just be like with our arms behind our backs walking around our restaurants being like clean that up like obviously not our vibe, you know, we want to work in the restaurant. So part of taking care of our employees, I think, um, just on a, on a simple level was like being there, working the line, covering for them, um, showing them how we want things to be done by leading by example, not telling them to do something, but doing it and letting someone observe how we like it done. And it's amazing yeah. to me to hear our employees when they're like, I, I've overheard employees say like, oh no, like we do it this way or, or this is how low and Peter want it done, you know, like, but not in a fearful way, just like showing the way. Yeah. And, um, and so that was important, like taking out the trash, washing dishes, like none of, none of these things that we're above as people or yeah. employees, like not going to give those things up being just because we're owners. Those are also things that if you really care about your restaurant care about your employees, you want to be participating in. And so I think by being arm in arm with our employees, it was the kind of most basic way we could take care of them. Like I said, being available to cover or, and then we have, um, I know Suzanne mentioned this in her, her episode, um, like we have equitable tip pool share between the front and the back of the house, dishwasher, everybody, nobody makes uh, this percentage or this, it's, it's equitable. And so that was, that was a major incentive for people to come work with us because, you know, we don't need to get into all the, you know, we know, we know how, how much that hurts to be, to have, to be, I can't speak to it because I've been a server. So I guess in essence, I've always made the highest percentage of tips, right. But meeting Peter and having those conversations about even him seeing me count my money at the end of the night like I could feel it. And, and he's like, can I say something, you know, like it's hard to watch. This is why there was, I guess what I'm getting at is like, this is why there was so much animosity between the front and the back of the house in all, all the restaurants I worked in. Right. Um, it was, it's no secret that there's no like yin and yang, that like, it's like almost a war. Right. And what are we doing? We're one restaurant. We're trying to set one goal. So I think equitable tip share is like, and at one point, you know, this, this equitable tip share was illegal in California. Like we, you couldn't give tips to back of the house. In fact, we found out that, uh, we found out from our, uh, our wonderful, um, attorney that 
what we did for the first year of business by doing equitable equitable tip share was illegal. So we were, or for the first year that we had an employee, he was like, well, I mean, you're doing it, but you're not supposed to be. I'm yeah. like, not supposed to be paying. So I don't understand. Like that's, that should be a company policy yeah. long, long winded. But so that, that, you know, that was major. We knew like at one point, like as soon as we can afford it, we want to have health, health, you know, offer a healthcare plan, even if it's just sponsored at a certain percentage, like we want to offer something in that way. Um, but I think I could go on and on. Um, but I think like the biggest way we tried to take care of our employees was by growing slowly. And for the first year and a half, it was just Peter and I. And I remember customers saying, like, you guys need help. You need employees. Like, the waits are too long. Like, you know, this is getting out of hand. You guys are tired. Like, yeah. you know. It was funny. It even almost wasn't even a thought that we would have employees. Like, it was just, we just opened up. We were so, like, focused on just getting the shop open and, do, and, and opening, creating this business that it was just Lauren and I doing it. And we didn't even really imagine a world where, like, we would have employees or, um, you know, we were so focused in the, in the day to day. Um, but that was such an important step, like, you know, hiring employees. And from that very moment of like hiring employees, we were like, we knew, you know, we needed to have, this wasn't just going to be like, Hey, you're a buddy, come work for cash under the table. It was like, no, we're going to have all the documents are going to be there. You're going to be paid fairly. There's going to be benefits. All the laws are going to be followed to the letter. We're going to have employee handbooks. We're going to have all this stuff to make it like, you know, an actual job, a career for, for people. And I think as a business owner, somebody that has employees, it's very important to really take a look and think like, would I want to work here? If I'm an employee, is this a place I would want to work here? What What are the things that I would expect or what are the things that I would really would help me enhance my job as an employee here? Um, like have those, have those thoughts with, with yourself. Um, I think that's very, it's invaluable. You really just like, think like how, you know, these people are working with us and, 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 you know, how would I, you know, it's like the golden rule, like, you know, don't, you know, lead by example, like don't ask, you know, we'd never ask somebody to do something that we wouldn't do ourselves. So Yeah, like you have a um, responsibility yeah. to not forget where you came from, right? Yeah. Let's not let's not stay, stray away from our goal, which is to create a place that embraces the things we loved about working in a restaurant and does away with the things that we didn't love, you know? And you know, I what I think what what I try to bring to the table as far as like um keeping our staff in mind is, is just recalling, you know, uh, cutting ser servers, getting cut. Like how many tables do you have? How many, and granted, we don't have a, we don't have that setting or quick service to go restaurant, but you know, I wanted to have a space that I, well, I think having the small space that we do thanks to Peter allows a smaller staff to have more high volume and, you know, I, most of the people we hire are like, I want to be busy. Like, I want to be like slammed, you know, and like, you know, our, our front of the house, like everybody works so hard. We're an open kitchen too. That was another element of like, you know, kind of creating that, that sort of like 
doing away with everybody like, does everything yeah. right like we all do everything like okay so i'm kind of again I, my mind's going a million miles a minute but it's like okay we could really use a dishwasher right but let's let's think about this like this is an extra body in this small space that we already are bumping into each other um absolutely will tip this person this person will be in the tip pool um like is this something that we all just want to pitch in and get done and like have it be like financially a better you know option for us and like we're working a little harder but we're also in that came this more like humble care for our place right like we we just care more about everything because we mop the floors and we sweep the floors and we do the dishes and we do that like we see, and it's funny because we just recently hired our first um, prep dishwasher. Um, his name is Rob. He's amazing. And then we've just hired a, a Woody down in Chinatown. And when they take a day off or like when they, you know, like Rob took a day off recently and I worked for Rob and I was like, when he came back, I was just like, dude, I already knew, like, I already saw you. I already appreciated you like beyond belief, but like, my God, like, you know, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for yeah. what you it's, do it's, because it's, we feel the loss yeah. when you're not here, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, it's, it's crazy to think about the fact of like, you know, when you have a small business and you're like, wow, you just, you just think about the cost of hiring somebody, but then it's like, just, it's, it's an investment. And if you invest in these people, it's like, wow, you, everybody can do so much more than you could do on your own. We grew with um, each employee. Yeah, we yeah, grew exactly. our business grew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just like interesting how that works when you, you know, make those sort of investments in people and it really just, you know, the team just thrives, you know? I don't know if that really answers the question. I'm sorry. I feel like <laughs> we I, it did. Yeah. We we covered it. It definitely uh I mean it's um it's all about like, you know getting to a point where you feel confident having people that are at your business who you can leave. Like you said that you didn't even think you were going to have employees. So you thought you were going to stand there 17 hours a day, every single day. And now you have people that you can trust. And I'm sure that physically and mentally, that was a game changer when you turned that corner and you were like, Oh my God, I have something to do today. And like, I'm actually going to go and do it because I don't need to be here. Yeah. 100% of the time the doors are open. Like there's something romantic about that notion of, you know, I'm going to interact with every single customer and make every single thing that leaves the door. But yeah. now you have two locations. Yeah. So that's literally impossible. Even if you wanted to at one, it right. was probably impossible. I wonder once you've seen what you can do at two locations, are you like, oh my God, we could do another one. Or are you thinking to yourself, let's pump the brakes and kind of consolidate what we've got going on? Or now are you just like throttling forward and thinking to yourself, let's look for another spot and sign a lease and do number three? I think there's there's a lot of questions to answer um, <laughs> to think about like a third one. Um, but I think like having a, you know, having a, a having more wax papers is possible. Um, but it's just interesting to think about what kind of, uh, what that would mean for like the business. Cause I think just, you know, the nature of the business will have to change to have more locations and 
there will be, you know, you have to compromise on, on, uh, you know, certain things in order to grow. Um, you know, we have Lauren and I have some, you know, wild ideas about possibly uh, more wax papers, but, um, in the, in the moment we're trying to get our, uh, our third business off the ground, Lingo Franca. Um, so that's sort of in the for, in the front of our minds. Um, we've been tempted a couple of times, but, but we've definitely been tempted. Um, developers have reached out to us like, oh, we have this brand new, you know, complex and it's, uh, you know, by the beach and it's going to be great. And, you know, it's tempting, but it's also like, well, how is this actually going to work? Like, is this going to, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's all like, you know, a lot of questions like that. And it's, it's, you know, you know, we, we, we've, we we're, 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 we're comfortable with, with the two that we have, um, right now. It's a lot of work. I, you know, there was, I don't even know what that would entail having like a third business. I, I, would, I don't know. I don't know that we could have multiple locations without having some sort of um, arm of like someone who already works with us running it. Right. Like, um, you know, we, we've kind of like, I don't know if I should say this, but we've kind of like talked about maybe coming to New York. Right. Um, with Ben, who's from there, you know, like, Hey, what would that look like? Like Ben's working on his own concept pretty good, which is amazing. And I want to shout out, and, um, you know, we kind of talk about things like that. So I think expansion would, would come with, it would be very near and dear. Like, I'm not sure that we could just like set up a whole crew of people we just barely met. And it's not like we wouldn't trust that they would do a great job. It's just that I think so much of wax paper is, you know, kind of going back to like our staff. It's like, I know the word family is tossed around a lot in the industry. It's controversial. People are like, it's not family. It's your job. Right. Or like, you shouldn't, you know, this shouldn't treat people like family because they're working for you. It's like, that's just not really like the truth with us. Like our restaurants are, you know, we have employees who have been, most of our employees have been with us at least a year, some for four going on five, you know, couple. And, and so it's, it's hard because, that's what makes our stores really special. You know, our customers go to see like these people and, and that could be recreated um, with like, in other words, like, um, how do I say this? Like, I know like another store would have amazing people who would have, you know, their, their regulars and people who come to see them. But again, it's just what the two stores have right now is like a big family. It's really special. Um, it, it's hard, you know, I, and dare I say that you can't replicate that, but that if you did create another one, it would just be different. It would be different. Yeah. One of the biggest things about expanding wax paper is we don't know what, where we would source bread because Bob and grandma's in France who we work with right now, like that's, you know, that is a humongous reason why people love wax paper is we have fresh bread baked every day, right up the street, literally in Frogtown, you know? And so it's, uh, by, by the most incredible, you know, one of the most incredible bakeries in Los Angeles. And so, um, we would have to find above and grandma's somewhere else. So we could, we'd have to open near a good bread place that could supply to us. That's a big part of our business model. Yeah. So. It's, uh, what a lot of people don't think of when they're those, those 
opportunities get dangled in front of you and you start to see stars and dollar signs and uh, acclaim and opportunity and what uh, it sometimes is really important to think about what the pure logistics are of you having to haul your ass all across town to check on a location that's far and also supply chain staff like Going from one to two is very, very hard, but going from two to three, a lot of people say is a whole different ball game. Um, and trying to vertically integrate is like a whole, a whole other can of worms. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that. You are though embarking on a third business. So you've, you've sort of like, you've eased off on the, on the, um, wax paper expansion, but you are opening up another concept that, um, we don't know anything about. So tell everyone who's listening, what that is going to be, where it's going to be, whatever you can share about lingua franca, um, start plugging it right now. Let us know what we can get excited for. Yeah. Yeah. Lingua franca is, we've been working on lingua franca for about four years. Um, we met, uh, the landlord was, uh, a customer of ours and now he's, he's, you know, become a friend of, um, what we were doing at wax paper. And, uh, you know, we've, we signed a lease four years ago and, uh, you know, now we're, we're under construction and it's really, it's taken, you know, four years and a pandemic to work through to, to, you know, get to a point where we're, we're almost open. Hopefully we're going to be open later this year. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty insane what we're, what Lauren and I are trying to do. Um, we don't have any investors. We don't have any outside, you know, there's no outside people. It's, it's Lauren and I, and, and, and that's, you know, we, we, we are the owners and we, that, that's it. Um, and the space that we're going into for Lingua Franca is right along the LA bike path. It's in Frogtown. It's a couple blocks away from where wax paper is in Frogtown. Um, and it wasn't, it, it was just four walls and a roof. Um, so if you can imagine trying to translate that into an actual working restaurant, there's an incredible amount of, of hoops and planning and fees and, you know, like construction that has to be dealt with in order to create a restaurant from where there was only a shell of a building. Um, but that's, you know, it's taken four years. We're, we're, we're under construction. We've met some really, really, uh, amazing people who have worked with us and saw the vision and, and are, you know, moving forward on it with us. Um, you know, really a dream too, to be able to have total control like Lauren and I have of a business, um, you know, from the color of the walls to the type of, of cooking equipment that we have, um, the music we play, um, the menu, you know, people hear lingua franca and they say, Oh, is it an Italian restaurant or, you know, like, well, it's, it's lingua franca. Is it really, I don't really know where it's, it's a term that means sort of like the common language. Um, so in our case, when we think about the restaurant, the common language is good food. Um, so that's really where, how far the concept is. It's just good food. I don't know. You know, it's not going to be, you know, a Sardinian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant or a, you know, it's, it's going to be sort of a California restaurant. Um, I, the food is going to be, I want to do as much as I can to just source products and ingredients from California. Like if there's any concept, that's the concept. It's a California restaurant. 
Um, and then, you know, having fun, having fun with the food, um, going back to our guiding principle from earlier, like, is it delicious? You know, that's really like the goal. Um, it's not, you know, there's no sort of, um, you know, it's just a modern, you know, Californian restaurant with good food and family style. Yeah. If, you know, if we, you know, if we want to have, uh, you know, I don't know, certain dishes on the menu, it's just going to be, you know, the menu is constantly going to be changing. And I think that's sort of my restless creativity. I can't really, you know, I'm always thinking about, is this as good as it can be? Can this be better? Um, you know, and just, you know, we're, we're so close to, you know, beautiful seafood and beautiful farmers markets here in Southern California. That is just, you know, I'm talking with purveyors and basically it's just going to be like, drop off what you have and we'll make it, you know, like I got some black cod, um, off of Santa Barbara and a couple spiny lobsters. I'm like, great, cool. Then, then bring that in. You know, like I don't have, I don't want to look at like what's available at the produce at the farmer's market and check boxes and then have them bring that. Like I would rather them bring in, you know, a case of cauliflower and a case of Swiss chard and some, you know, beautiful peaches. And then that's what we're going to serve. Um, and I think at this point, um, you know, I think at this point, our customers are really are willing to go on that journey with us. I think that they trust us that, they, you know, that if if they don't, you know, if they haven't really ever had, um, you know, a certain, I don't know, combination or a, 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 a dish in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that we do it. I think that our customers are really trusting in what we do and they believe in um, um, the concept. So I'm just, I don't know, I'm just excited to get... Uh, again, to get creative and, you know, to have fun and, and bring the humor into a restaurant that I feel was like sorely lacking for a long time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, we're going to be, I don't know if it's me standing in an empty room over a stove cooking, uh, burgers, then that's what it's going to be. Um, you know, if we have to, you know, if we're going to open up and, and, and do that, that's what it's going to be. But um, we're really trying to focus on getting it, it done by the end of the year. Will there be a grease trap in the hood? Oh yeah. There will oh, be. will there, will there, will ever, there ever be? <laughs> I never, you know, there, I, yes, we're getting the working on the hood right now. Actually, we're deep into uh, huge email chains and between structural engineers and, uh, hood companies and equipment people. And, um, you know, they're going to have to crane this hood onto the top of the restaurant and, um, <laughs> So there will be absolutely it's ridiculous. Um, you know, thank our our you know our landlord really believed in us, and so he gave us a great a great lease. So he's really taken on a lot of the uh, you know a big chunk of the of that sort of infrastructure as well, which is great because otherwise, if we had to build it this entire thing from scratch on on you know with with us, there's no way we could do it. So we feel great that we have a landlord who's so you know who sees the vision and is so willing to work with us to make it happen. That's amazing. You know, sometimes a landlord can be a partner, even if they're not writing you a huge check and asking for an investment. Uh, I think most landlords and, you know, I can only truly speak to New York, but, um, 
your name on a piece of paper, I think, to most landlords. And then every once in a while, you hear about landlords who see vision and see ingenuity and see an exciting opportunity, which is what sounds like uh, your landlord has seen. And um, it's great to hear that there's some trust there and um, and some optimism for helping grow a neighborhood, which increases their property value and, uh, and doing cool things in a community. And it's like, if you can have that foresight as a landlord, then you can bring in cool operators like the two of you. It's a win-win. I don't know why more people don't operate that way, but what you've just described is a very rare situation. So I'm hoping that it works out like brilliantly for you. And I'm hoping that it can end up I want you to be really successful and I want it to be an inspiration to people to do exactly what you're doing, which is find somebody that likes their spot and say, Hey, like, let's make another cool thing happen together. So, um, that is awesome to hear and and super exciting. Um, I, I would be remiss to not talk and touch on COVID, which is still going on. And as restaurant owners, um, something that we're going on almost two years having to deal with. So um, I don't want to close on a bummer, but I do want to hear from you because you've been open quite a while now. And, you know, you you are a pretty like small operation, which didn't have a huge um, infrastructure and apparatus, you know, to support you, you know, you it's you two and, and your small team. Yeah. So like, I guess basically what I would love for you to talk about was like, what did you do during COVID that allowed you to either be successful or like not have your brain explode? And what were the hardest things that happened during COVID that as a small business owner, it just, it almost like took you to the brink and, and, and made you feel like you might not maybe make it to the other side. If that, if that did happen. Yeah. There's, I mean, we could, this could be like the whole episode. I know. Yeah. We could talk about this for another hour. So <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that we did, you know, just from the beginning, we were kind of set up as a small to go place and we didn't have a huge staff to support. We didn't have, you know, we were able to make the rent work. Um, you know, it, it was the thing that was maybe like most stressful was really like not getting, um, you know, not necessarily getting like, like absolute guidance from any sort of like health authority or city or county. Still um, waiting. Yeah. Like still, and just, still waiting. just like, you know, you know, like, like, you know, if, if we had an employee who said like, Hey, we had, uh, I was out somewhere and I think I was, you know, in, in, I might've been exposed to, to COVID-19. So then it's just like our only option then is to like, okay, you have to take time off and you have to get tested. And, you know, just from, you know, from us too, as, as, as people trying to navigate this thing that like no one has lived through before um, and just, you know, not getting that like clear guidance from any sort of authority and just all of the responsibility on navigating a pandemic was really left to the individual business owner, for the most part, um, was incredibly challenging. If there was anything that really made us think like, this is this is not worth it, I think it was that. It was just like, 
we 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 know how to be small business owners, but we don't know how to be public health officials. So like, you know, when when we had to like step add that role to our multitude of hats, it was like almost like almost too much. I mean, thankfully, yeah. we just we had a great crew. Um, we kept our circle small and, you know, we were able to navigate it as well as we could. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, you know, it, we, 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 we were sort of slowly coming out the other side, but it was uh, very, you know, very tough. We can't work from home. So it was tough for sure. Yeah. I mean, being a, I, and I say this completely gratefully because I hold a huge respect and, um, you know, a lot of emotion for all of our friends and family in this industry who did not have a quick service takeout concept and had to close their doors either, you know, temporarily or, or forever. Um, you know, emotionally, that was really hard to grapple with, like seeing that. I think we've, I felt personally like a sense of survivor's guilt a lot of times. I felt like sort of isolated, like I can't express my feelings or complain or like do anything because we're just lucky to be here. This is our livelihood. We don't have a backup backup job. Our staff, this is their job. Um, unemployment's a nightmare to get right now. You can't even get through to them. You know, I had friends who didn't get their first check for a month and a half, you know, things like that. Um, it's just, it, it, being a takeout restaurant and being open was just a small part of it. It was like, okay, we're lucky to be open. How do we survive this? You know, and just how do we survive this from a health standpoint? And then how do we survive this as a small business? And, you know, the first couple months was a sheer panic and lots of ups, you know, roller coasters and ups and downs that have, you know, sustained. But I think that, um, we, we owe so much to our staff and, you know, we talked earlier about taking care of staff and, um, it's just, it's, it's, it's really, I think I remember there, I remember a conversation with Peter where we said like, we're already always at the restaurant, but we are not, we are not, there's not going to be one day of this pandemic that we're open, that we are not there all day. Like we are going to be there every single day, all day, every day. Um, and it was, it was, you know, no question that we weren't going to be, um, sitting at home while our staff's working our restaurant. Like that's not going to happen. And, uh, together with them, I mean, shit, it's like, we, we cried, we laughed, we, we probably, you know, I mean, we, we ordered family meal like every day, despite like worrying about our finances to try to support our friends. They'd order from us. We trade, you know, um, we set up a fort, like it still looks like a fort in our, both of our restaurants, like chairs on the table, collected dust, you know, like we clean it, but you know what I mean? Like it, because of our net of friends and family and our staff, that's number one, why we're still here you know, I guess in no particular order, one of the reasons why we're here. We don't have business partners other than ourselves that we had to speak to or answer to or give money to. And that was another heartbreaking element of so many of our friends' businesses was seeing the way, like I like, I know I keep talking about, but I like literally teared up listening to Suzanne Barr talk about 
her partners being like, um, we don't want to do this anymore. Like there's no money. You know, it's just like, Oh my God, like the word is partner. Like, how do you give money and invest in something and not emotionally invest in it either? And that is why we don't, we don't want to, we, we stop trying to see partnership for lingua franca because we're there every day. We're like, we're doing this. Like we want ownership in this, but so there's that element and then being the takeout restaurant and just sort of like, I don't know, just being, taking it one day at a time and being okay with inevitably what happened because we have the support of our friends in the industry, our friends, life, family and life and our staff. And that's it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a one day at a time kind of thing. And it still is. And, and now that, the understanding like outside, like if you're not in this industry is like, Oh, you guys made it through, you know? And it's like a gut punch. Cause it's like, there's so many pieces to pick up. There's so much, um, rubble to, to rifle through and like so much, you know, back pay and this kind of stuff. So it's just like, you know, like it's just, you know, vendors closing down and not being able to deliver produce yeah. to you. So you're going to yeah. Whole Foods 365 yeah. because that's the closest grocery store and you're spending triple what you, you know, like just, and then there's not even groceries there. Like, how do you even run a business like this? Like, you know, our, our, our poor bakery, like they got, they had a COVID outbreak. It's like, so we didn't have bread, you know, and we were so lucky to work with Clark Street Bakery who saved us. You know, and then we ha- actually had so much support from our customers, but, you know, I'm sure it was a different product for them. And they were like, I'm not going to say anything, but like, and I don't mean lesser, I just mean different than what they were used to. Right. And so like different style, different this, different, I don't know, I could go on and on, but all praise to our staff. Um, they're incredible people. We, they take ownership. They, you know, we trust them and it's just, yeah, it's just wild to be standing here, but, um, yeah, it was inspiring to, to go through it with other, you know, all the other small businesses and all the other small business restaurants, just knowing that they were going through the same thing and, and, you know, seeing, seeing our friends open a patio one day and then close it and then switch to takeout and then, you know go to do different delivery companies and do different things just to like try and keep the lights on. It was really, you know, it was just, I was really inspired by other, you know, other uh, people in the community, you know, and like, you know, Hey, I, I, I can't, and you know, I'm not working right now or, you know, our, our investors bail to close the restaurant, but I'm going to start this cool pop-up, you know, like that was, that was, you know, inspiring. I think to us as well to just like, you know, help us keep, keep moving forward. Like you're not, we can't go back. So we're just going to keep moving forward. Well, the lights are still on and yeah, the Evan Kleiman yes. still fly out the door and the Ira glasses still fly out the door. Uh, so we're all happy that you're, that you're still alive and that you've got two locations uh, going with what sounds like an exciting third spot on the way. Um, Tell everyone who's listening, what are the two location addresses and also where they can find you, website and Instagram 
Well, you can find us at waxpaperco.com. Um, at waxpaperco is our, our Instagram and Twitter. We have a Facebook we don't keep up, so it's really old. I'm sorry if anybody messaged us there. Um, and, uh, or excuse me, a meta. We have a meta. A meta. Um, <laughs> that's Facebook's new name. Um, when you put on your uh, your your augmented reality goggles, you can find us. You can us. find us on Meta. Um, so sick, and it says I think it says our birthday is nineteen oh five. So that that's accurate. Um, but yeah, we're in Frogtown twenty nine oh two Knox Avenue, um, Los Angeles, California nine zero zero three nine, and we're down in Chinatown on Broadway at seven three six North Broadway. Um, we're inside the United Foods building. Um, across from the Far East Plaza where Helen Ray's and everyone lives. Um, and that's 90012. Trying to tell me. <laughs> that's where we're at. And then hopefully soon at Lingua Franca to be determined. Awesome. Uh, Peter and Lauren, thank you so much for taking time away from your businesses uh, to speak with me. Uh, everybody go check them out. They're always at the shops, so you can go and find them at those two locations of Wax Paper. Appreciate you sharing your story with me and all of the listeners on Heritage Radio Network. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.